0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So, Ganesh, uh, why don't you tell us about some ways that scammers are using COVID-19? Yes,
1: Andy. I mean, uh, we all know we are in the middle of some major epidemic here. And that's not been lost on the scammers, also. They are doing different things to unwitting people. In this scenario, there's an article uh, from Acker News, and they have categorized into seven different types how these malware authors are trying to scam people. Also I have one more additional uh, way they can do it which is uh, from my end. I think uh, what they classified into is the first thing is they started with the mobile malware. The reason I think uh, it's a little bit interesting because uh, nowadays all the people are using their mobile phones rather than the regular laptops I guess. There is a study done by research done by TechPoint researchers and they found at least 16 mobile apps related to COVID-19 related information uh, they claim to be giving information about, updates about COVID-19, uh, but in fact, actually, they're serving the various types of uh, malware. Uh, like, for example, there's one Android app, actually, basically it serves a covid like ransomware. It's a ransomware because it's themed on COVID, they kind of calling it as COVID-lock. That's one way of uh, mobile malware, and the second technique they're using is Always well known email phishing. Uh, this has been actually our partner, uh, our ATT, involved and in has actually talked about and threat track last time. Uh, they have been tracking since sometime late December not last year, and they have seen the different variations of threat actors trying to leverage this COVID 19 based theme to basically send lots of emails, in this case, millions of emails. I think. Uh, it only increased since then because of the epidemic we are in right now, and the little variation in the third uh, third phishing is the SMS phishing. In this case, I think uh, people are getting various types of fake SMS messages uh, claiming to be some government agencies, for example, UK government, and uh, maybe sometimes from United Nations, and urging people to uh, making into lure them into click on the links. In fact, actually, that is also silently uh, downloading some sort of uh, malicious software, maybe uh, some sort of keyloggers onto the devices itself. Uh, One of the most prominent ways it's being done is WhatsApp and uh, and similar kind of uh, messaging applications. And the fourth one, I think it's called discounted off-the-shelf malware. In the sense, I think uh, there are malware kits available. What these malware authors are doing is basically they're offering discounts on them, like a huge discount so that uh, people will get them and maybe they use it for various nefarious purposes. I think most often this is being used by bootrun stressor services, uh, where they're selling these data services uh, and also spamming kits. I think uh, it seems to be uh, booming successfully with this uh, off-the-shelf malware. And uh, the fifth category is malicious software. Uh, Malicious software, I think uh, this is uh, because of the recent changes we are doing. I think we are all working from home, right? And because of that, we are relying mostly on uh, most of these online video conferencing services like Zoom, uh, some other services. What is the malicious actor doing is they're sending lots of phishing emails like the ones we discussed above, fake SMS and malicious downloaders claiming to be some sort of video conferring services. But in fact, what they're doing is they're collecting some information about the users, maybe the content they have on their devices and slowly explorating it. Uh, that's one type of uh, malicious software. And the sixth category is the ransomware attacks. With the, since this pandemic actually started, there's a huge increase in the ransomware attacks. The reason is that we are all working from home. And because people are working from home, the corporate security levels are gone down because the perimeter has now restrained and actually spread across the various users' homes. So basically, there's a little bit lower level of security there, and they're taking advantage of this lack in security a little bit. And they're targeting the users as well as the corporations, and in actually, in some cases, actually they're targeting hospitals for ransomware to release the data, because because of the scenario we have, in the uh, hospital needs to have the data to to carry out their basic bit to do activities. And the seventh one, they classified is, I do not know whether. It, It may be fit into one of the categories, but still I'll talk about it. It's about face masks and hand sanitizer scams. Because of the huge demand for these masks and sanitizers, uh, some of the scammers, what they did is that they basically compromised the business email accounts. And they are tricking users to faster delivery by these um, items. And actually, they're siphoning the money from the unsuspecting users. These are the seven categories they're talking about, the various ways these scammers are trying to exploit the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, But on top of that, I have a bonus uh, way actually, maybe people should be aware, maybe we all should be aware. At these times of things, we always see some sort of health or charity kind of based scams coming up. For example, because people want to help, uh, there will be numerous uh, organizations coming up uh, Asking or soliciting for money to basically help healthcare professionals, maybe people in need, but uh, we should be realistic. Uh, Aware with what we are really doing it, and uh, those are the different ways the scammers are trying to uh, exploit the current scenario. Well,
0: that's really interesting, Ganesh. Um, you spoke about now that everyone's working from home, um, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of uh, corporate security might be a little bit lesser for that reason. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, if you're a company that necess- isn't necessarily already set up to have their employees work from home, if I'm thinking like an attacker, you know, maybe these companies are going to lower their security a little bit to, to mm-hmm. make it to where their employees can work from home to make some concessions and security to get, to keep the, the business going, you know? So yeah. it's it's very much opportunistic right now. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I would expect to see it
1: in your future pandemic, you know? Yeah, I think uh, this is one thing. It's always good to have a in layer and multiple layers of security because mm-hmm. you have more lines of defense against these kind of attacks. And always, uh, again, actually, we have to be on guard. Because whenever you're clicking on something, especially with SMS-based uh, clicks, especially also based on video conferencing. Um, um, software There are so many are there people sometimes unsuspectingly because they want to collaborate uh, it just takes one click to just own I think these are the seven things to know which ways they're trying to target and maybe knowing about them we can actually build our defenses against them so what can we do if I'm if I don't want to get compromised and I don't want to get duped
0: you know but I'm, I'm, I want to keep up to date with COVID-19 I want to know what's going on how do I make sure that I don't click on the wrong thing or I don't install the wrong thing? What, 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 are, your, what are your suggestions for that?
1: I think uh, in this scenario, going back to previous case, what we have actually said, advised people: don't click on the shortened URL. Try to go to the authentic sources. For example, uh, there is one source: at Gov. But basically, even though they return the UK Gov, basically, I think uh, the URL in fact uh, transcribed it to the different one. I think those are the tiny things so you have to be a little bit wary of it, and also maybe if you're if you're an iOS user or maybe Android user, try to get it from the official Play Stores instead of rather than going to the, some third-party websites and trying to get them.
0: Yeah, I agree. And in this case, there are there are well-known trusted sources that you can get that information mm-hmm. from. So you yeah. know, if you do get a text message claiming there's this new thing happening with COVID-19 um you know instead of clicking that link you know Uh where to go to get up-to-date information you know there you can go to the CDC website you can go to the WHO website there are government websites that'll give you up-to-date information so in this case it's a little easier because there are those trusted cases but as always like you said Mm -hmm. you know don't click on the shortened link go to the full site you know make sure you know where you're going
1: I I think Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I would do it may take a little longer to type the full URL, but I, at least I know I'm going to the right, right thing. I'm not making any mistakes. I think uh, we need to change a little bit and that will go a long way to uh, protect ourselves.
0: Kim, what are your thoughts on uh, the seven ways that scammers are
1: utilizing COVID-19?
2: So uh, <laughs> I think it, it comes back to the point of humans being the, the weakest link uh, and human error and how, um, you know, users are always clicking or fish bait to whatever someone sends them and they're curious. So the curiosity that people uh, have within, they're going to always click these links. And they've become more laxed now that they're working from home. And, you know, we have policies at work that, you know, oh, you know, to, to practice more security when you're at work, but when they become, you know, more relaxed at home, I think it's getting, Worse, because they're uh, clicking on these links more so often and and trying to find out about COVID-19, what's happening, and like you mentioned, uh, they should go to the proper site um, if they need to watch the news rather than clicking links to find out or if they need to go to the official media site, uh, they can go there. Um, But, yeah, I think um, users are becoming more relaxed at home and not practicing the security. Uh, that
0: they normally would practice at home. Yeah, that's a that's a actually a really good point. I, I hadn't even considered the fact that if you're home, you're generally more comfortable, you know, and so you're less likely to practice, you know, normal cybersecurity standards, things like don't click on phishing emails and such. That's really interesting. I, mean, I didn't think about that. So, what your suggestion to those folks, um, to people who are working from home like us, is uh, don't put your guard down. Is that is that a fair,
2: <laughs> right, right, yes. Yeah. Don't put your guard down, uh, still practice security, um, and and don't be fish bait. (laughs) Wherever you go, just practice both at home and and at work. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Welcome, Kim. Uh, You have a story about uh, actually misconfigured containers being used by malware for malicious purposes. Would you like to elaborate a little bit on that?
2: Aqua Security recently noticed that attackers are uh, trying to set up crypto mining um, farms on uh, Docker um, instances out there for containers. So what they're doing is that they are uh, scanning the ports that are out there constantly scanning on a hourly basis, whether it's daily or hourly basis. And they're looking for these open ports out in the cloud environments, which this is a a misconfiguration. Um, And this has been known to happen especially with Kubernetes and their management of containers and now with Docker. So uh, this configuration, um, misconfiguration rather, with Docker has allowed hackers to be able to set up around a lateral movement on other machines within the same cluster. Uh, of containers and inject malware there and, and set up crypto mining farms um, on the network. Um, the Docker instances are, um, by default, are unprotected, is an unprotected port. So uh, what happens is that uh, a lot of the administrators, rather, they don't know that they, they have no idea when they initially set up Docker or whether it's Kubernetes, um, that there are open ports that are uh, open to the internet and they don't go back to look to see, oh, what, do, you know, it automatically sets up an ingress to their environment when you initially mm-hmm. install. So this allows hackers uh-oh. to get in, I'm sorry.
0: Sorry, no, I just said, uh-oh.
2: <laughs> An open port
0: <laughs> on the internet, unprotected, and it is not yes, a good thing. It's
2: unprotected. And unprotected, and more so often, it's ports of 18 and 443 that are open. So, so this, um, the Docker instances are, um, are the, the the actual malware that they're injecting is, uh, the, is called the Kensing malware, which is um, a um, like sort of uh, uh, it's based off of Graboid which was uh, an initial um, malware for cryptocurrency as well. But the difference between the two is that this kensing malware, they're using a, a legitimate image, whereas the, a custom-based image was used or the OS image was used with the um, Gravoid. So in order to get around the security ramifications um, in the, uh, of the company. So, normally companies have their own uh, images, or say Ubuntu or whether it's CentOS, whatever it may be. So, to get around the security, this Kensing malware is um, setting up a legitimate image, installing it, and then um, uh, in, uh, downloading their script. It's a 600 line uh, script that they download and run and it pushes out or connects to the command and control. And uh, it's three IPs that they use, rather, um, that they're using in the script. And so, uh, it's also um, scanning other containers in the cluster. They're scanning other containers so that it can uh, check to see if the, the bash history and if it can connect on SSH to different ones, and that's that's how it goes laterally across the containers and injects the the, the malware. And uh, so, uh, if they're they're not using the the malware maliciously per se, even though it is malicious, um, or it's it's more so setting up these crypto is not to 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 actually take down the servers uh, in a way to take down the servers or. You know, denial of service, your you know, environment, but it does use a lot of resources.
0: Cloud instances can be incredibly expensive too.
2: Very. So. Yeah.
0: So it's a it's a financially motivated attack because they want to put these crypto miners on these on these cloud instances, and of course, you know, they can they can make some money that way. But on the other end, the victim side, that those resources uh, can very quickly get into a very large number. Um, so I think it's re- it's really important that when you're put putting something in the cloud, um, even if it's just like a personal project or something, make sure that thing is secured. Um, and and I'll let you will let you finish, but I, I want to ask you know what what, what can you do? Um, if, you know, obviously um, you know cloud computing is, is a big deal. It's going to become a bigger deal. Um, it's like kind of like a new frontier a little bit. You know. I want to play with it you know i'm sure other people want to play with it they want to get involved they want to see what it is you know they want to see if, if yeah. they can use it for personal projects or maybe you've got a business idea or something you know what can you do to make sure that somebody doesn't put a crypto miner on your instance and rack up a bill of a couple thousand dollars overnight you know
2: exactly and so there there is software a certain software out there that you can use uh in your cloud environment to scan your network uh to cloud to scan your resources in the cloud um to check to see if there's um crypto mining software out there and another thing i want to bring up is that this Kensing saw this malware it tries to alleviate any other crypto mining uh uh, malware that's out there that may exist on your uh on your cluster so what happens is it it wants to be the last man standing rather so it, it checks to see if any other crypto miners have, you know, injected into your, um, your cluster, and it just, you know, gets rid of all of those. Um, But what you can do, uh, and and it's hard for some, you know, administrators that they don't know that the security ramification is there. So, what you can do is to um, uh, make sure that when you do set up um, your environment, that you go and check all of your security groups make sure that you're not allowing uh, any, you know, ports that are um, open to, to your cluster that the vulnerable p- ports are closed. Also, some of this, this, these uh, IPs that they've suggested in the, in the um, um, document here, um, you can a- automatically close those on your network security group so that those aren't allowed outbound. Um, or to shut those down or allow anything inbound, that, that doesn't need to be there. Um, your load balances or your ingress uh, need to be shut down as well or locked as to only allow what's necessary. And if, if possible, a lot, of, a lot of instances or uh, cloud um, environments allow uh, internet connectivity to their cluster. But if you can, if if you can, you should set up your cluster as private only and only do private ingress, only. No external ingress to your cluster.
1: It's uh, really interesting the amount of uh, techniques it's using. Uh, I mean, the first thing is, uh, if I understand correctly, Kim, they're trying to actually mimic a picture, like a regular picture, like a valid picture, to go through the securities and they're trying to put um, the OS versions of it, right, just to bypass the security restrictions. And once they have, basically, they're trying to get on the malware to the the cloud instances, and they're starting their thing. One thing is, even if it's just a crypto miner, still they're causing some malicious damage to the customers, maybe the cloud environment in this case. Uh, uh, The thing is, I think, uh, as far as the recommendations, I, I, I heard you said a couple of points. I think one would be uh, like uh, watching your resources. In this case, mm-hmm. any increased CPU utilization is a giveaway? It's a safe assumption that if it's on the internet, it's going to get scanned. <laughs> I think we can, yeah. I think we yeah. can agree on that.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's important. It's also important to understand that uh, misconfigurations in the cloud We've seen it a lot, we've seen it with S3 buckets, you know, when a bunch of data was just sitting out there and people, researchers or otherwise would just come across them and say, hey, look, I have all this data I just found. Uh, It's just sitting there unprotected. So, you know, uh, with cloud instances, you know, there's a couple different ways to access them. Sometimes it's like through a console, you know, if you're the admin, you can log into like an AWS console and you can, you know, do your administration that way. But a lot of it is key-based. You know, you would connect to a service with a, a specific key, like an AWS key, in that in that instance. So, right. one vector that I would I would warn people about is, you know, obviously, you're probably writing code, and you're probably using that code, and there's probably a key somewhere in that code so that you can authenticate to whatever cloud instances you're working with. You know, make sure you don't push that code that contains that key into GitHub, because then <laughs> you can just go to GitHub, and you can find that key and then connect to it, and that's something that's you know that's something that we see quite a bit. Uh, unfortunately, you know if you if you go to to GitHub and you just kind of look for an AWS key, unfortunately you'll find a lot there. So that's another recommendation I would make to people, to folks who want to get into cloud computing. Um, you know if you are working with code and you are pushing things to a GitHub repository, um, you're using sort you know version control. Make sure it's either an environment variable or you've got something specific set up. Make sure you don't have a text key just sitting right in the code. And then because, you know, you, you might push it up. Some of these projects projects can have hundreds of files. And, you know, maybe you forgot to put it in the ignore, and it ended up there. Um, and then, you know, let's say it does get on GitHub, and you delete it. You know, it's probably in the commit history still. It, it, you know, so make sure you actually delete it from the commit history. You know, GitHub is designed to not forget things. Um, obviously, it's very important that it doesn't just forget things. You can't just delete something. So, uh, it's a little sticky. So, understand that before you actually go in and, and commit stuff to it. But um, it's a good story, Kim. Thanks.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Hey, Andy, I hear you got a story about some new wiper malware. Can you tell us about it?
0: Um, so yeah. So, this story is actually a little bit uh, different than one we usually hear about. So uh, Bleeping Computer actually had a story a couple of days ago um, about some new ransomware that's been making its rounds on the internet. Um, and what's this particular ransomware is actually um, it's, it's it's an MBR locker ransomware. Uh, and for those who are unaware, um, MBR locker ransomware uh, targets the master boot record, which is the NBR. Uh, and master boot record uh, it's very important in your computer's startup process. It's it's crucial um, in order to load your computer's operating system. If your MBR is corrupted, your computer can't load its OS, and then you can't access any of your files. So it's very important that you have a, a, an intact master boot record. Um, but in any case, um, we've got some new master boot record um, ransomware called MB Locker um, for, uh, moving around the internet. But what's unique about this one is it's actually, it seems to be not necessarily targeting, but it seems to be blaming the malware on two pretty well-known security researchers uh, one of them is Vitaly Kremez, who actually works for Sentinel One Labs, uh, and the other one is uh, Twitter handle is, is Malware Hunter Team. So a victim would, you know, open their computer, and if you know they've got this this ransomware installed on their machine, um, they would turn on their computer, and instead of loading up their operating system and seeing their login screen or their desktop, they get a little message from the attacker, and it actually says, you know, something along the lines of "Hi, I'm Vitaly Kremez. or you know, you know, I'm the one that infected your machine, and I'm the one that, that did this to you. And it's important to know that neither of those two folks have anything to do with this whatsoever. So whoever wrote this is really just playing a prank uh, and and trying to blame it on these security researchers. And what's also a little bit different is, tip, it, with typical ransomware, you know, you you get it on your machine, and, you know, let's say it's not the master boot record flavor. Let's say it's just the regular operating system flavor. Um, what'll happen is the ransomware will get on your machine and it'll actually go through and it'll encrypt uh, all of your files so that you can't them, you can't use them. And then it'll present a little message that asks you or demands that you pay a ransom. Uh, and usually that's in the form of Bitcoin, so it'll provide a, a wallet address for you and then, you know, the idea is that you would pay the ransomware, and are the ransom, sorry, and then you would get a decryption key that would go in and decrypt all your files and then you have access again. Uh, even though that sometimes doesn't work. Uh, I wouldn't suggest paying any of that stuff. But in this case, when you get that message, it actually doesn't provide any sort of wallet or anything. There is, there, there's no payment option available to you. It's just, it just sort of gives you that message, and it it tells you, you know, hi, I'm one of these two security researchers, and your computer is, you know, unusable at this point. There is one variant that actually does ask for something like, a, I think it's like an access code or something. But if you read the message, it actually says something like, um, you know, hi, I'm Vitaly Kremez from, from Sentinel-1, buy our antivirus software and get the access kit, the access code to unlock your computer, which is, of course, bogus. Sentinel-1 does not do that. Sentinel-1 is a, a very very well-known, very legitimate security company. So if you read the article on on the Computer, there's actually reference to a new tool that was so i guess released uh via youtube and discord and um this tool is actually a very easy to use tool and it's supposed to it's supposed to make creating mastered boot record ransomware or NB locker mbr uh, locker uh, ransomware very easy to do and so um it's you can sort of speculate that you know for that reason and the fact that we're seeing this this ransomware that is not financially motivated clearly they're not trying to steal data. Obviously, they just want to mess with people, and in fact, they want to mess with these two security researchers. You can kind of say, and and, Blitz and Computer does as much that it's written by script Kitty. You know, you download this tool, you type in the inputs, and you get your your ransomware. Um, and uh, how how this is being dispersed actually is through uh, different software websites, like cracked websites and and um, like free software websites and whatnot. So. Um, you want to steer clear from that um but another interesting aspect of this is actually since that tool that that bleeped computer talks about has been released there's been a kind of a rash of mbr locker ransomware making its rounds this is just sort of the newest flavor and uh in fact we've we've actually seen uh well i guess we haven't but uh researchers have seen um mbr locker ransomware uh, utilizing COVID-19,
1: actually, and, and in the form of, like, file names and, you know, folder names and whatnot. So, as you're talking about this, Andy, actually, I can go back to my scammers using different techniques. I could easily correlate to three or four themes. Basically, one thing you said, the COVID-19 theme, that's how they're phishing it. And interesting is I think they targeted two security researchers in the sense that they're really doing a good job they got annoyed and they want to basically blame them but uh, if you come to the ransomware the whole scenario of the ransomware to be anonymized and getting the money if really a ransomware a ransomware author they're not going to give their details you know my name is so and so right you don't want to be you want that to be anonymized And uh, one more thing, I think in this case, even though it's a prank, it's probably, as you said, it might be some script kiddies trying to play with the ransomware kit. Because the uh, the reason is uh, uh, nowadays uh, there's so many malware kits are available. Again, we talked on the story, Um, like you can have DDoS for hire kit as well as ransomware as a service. It's just like as you said, it's the graphical interface and you just can how much money you want how many, I mean, what kind of files you want to encrypt. It's so much easier. It's just click, 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 and select whatever you want. Um, I believe coming to the ransomware, I, I believe we have to really add the good backups to get back to what are the good state your systems are. Other than else, any other ideas or tips you can share? Yeah, I mean, for this particular attack, for this particular
0: ransomware, um, steer mm-hmm. clear of like cracked software websites. I, I mean, I think most people know that if you're looking for cracked software, you're probably going to have to go to a kind of a, a shady location on the internet to get it. And I only say that because mm-hmm. if you're if you're trying to get software that's legitimate, you'd go to a legitimate site. So, you know, yeah. if you want to download software that's been cracked, you're going to have to go to a site that's willing to offer something that is illegal. So, yeah. you know, I would, my suggestion would be don't break the law and, and get software yeah. legitimately. Um, and if you do find yourself, because it's not just cracked software, it's, you know, it's, it's a site advertising free software. So it could be something like, you know, download the software to clean your PC or something, um, you know, which yeah. is who doesn't want to do that, right? So, um, you know, if you do find yourself looking for looking to download an application like that, and you find yourself on a website, that you've never been before, and it's showcasing all this free software, um, you know, do your homework a little bit. Um, I would just Google it. Google the name of the program, Google the website. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion boards. There's a lot of blogs out there that'll tell you whether or not this is good or this is bad. Um, you can even use some actual cybersecurity tools like Virustotal.com. You can pop the URL in there, and Virustotal will tell you uh, if other people have seen this as well as, and as as a virus, you know. So those are good tools to use. Uh, to make sure you're not downloading something from a site that is actually going to ruin your machine essentially. Um, and I just want to make one one comment on the on the ruin aspect of it. Um, the researchers who have who have reversed this particular ransomware from this tool that we talked about, um, they' they've talked about how uh, what it does actually is it is it copies the master boot record, the original one into a different location uh, and then it just overwrites, you know, the other one, uh, which brings up the display message. So it's theoretically possible to just get everything back by, by rewriting that master boot record. But it's unclear whether or not this particular variant of it, the one that blames those security researchers, it's unclear whether or not it came from that tool. It just seems likely considering we've seen a rash of NBR of Locker ransomware and, you know, that tool did just come out. But, um, Kim, what are your thoughts on the story?
2: I think it's interesting. Uh, I, I agree with both you and uh, Ganesh. Um, also, uh, even though it was a prank, um, and and what it does to branding, you know, and uh, as far as Sentinel One goes, you know, uh, how does how does that affect their branding, their name, and the people that they're um, targeting? Those the, the people that they're, the, the pranksters were targeting they're, you know, tarnishing their good name, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is not, you know, I didn't do this, I didn't do this or whatever. Um, but yeah, and, and within that, um, uh, when, when they have interacted, the master boot record is coming up with this, oh, go and buy Sentinel-1, you know, it's this sort of thing like, oh, pushing to buy Sentinel- and it makes people think like, oh, is Sentinel-1, someone is with Sentinel-1 behind this? and they want us to buy their product, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it tarnishes their good name and and branding as well um, to, you know, others.
1: It never hurts to do a little bit of homework, right? (laughs) Right. Yes, yes, I agree. The internet is a big
0: and scary place. Um, So (laughs) make sure, yeah, Yeah. make sure you know what you're doing
1: on there. Welcome, Andy and Kim, to today's Internet Weather. We'll be taking a look at uh, some of the interesting ports for this week. I'll would, I would be starting with the top 10 most ports for this week. At the top, we have 23 TCP, which is Telnet. I'll skip over number two, which is ATA Echo Reply. And number three would be 1433 MS SQL. And at five and six, we have two ports which jumped from last week. a a, a position this week. The the fifth position would be 445 TCP, which is uh, SMB. And number six is uh, 555 TCP, which is ADP port. Uh, Followed by TCP, 3389 for RDP. Uh, Number nine at 22 is SSH and number 1081, which is uh, sometimes used as alternate port. I'll be talking a little bit more about this one as we go through. Okay, Uh, moving on to top sources probing this one. Here, again, we are only listing about the top 10 uh, sources being probed here. Uh, The way the table works is what's the rank for the top quotes last week and how much they changed for this week. Um, There are not many surprises uh, in the sense compared to the last few weeks. Uh, the, uh, the top five port seems to be at the same positions with nothing has been changed at their positions. The first port is 445, uh, second is 23, 1433, and all those lists. But I would like to touch base with the ports with the red arrows, especially the 23 TCP, which is for Tenlet, uh number 3, 1433 for SMB, uh, 555 TCP, and AE1 TCP. Okay, the first one uh, I'll be looking at is a 1433 TCP. We all know the registered service with this port is Microsoft SQL Server. Uh, Here, I'm showing you the last 90 days from our uh, graphical interface of the common backbone traffic. What what we are seeing is uh, with respect to the traffic volume, how many scanners or maybe scan sources are seen on this port. Typically, this represents some sort of botnet or malware kind of activity which have some sort of renewed interest or maybe what kind of traffic going on these ports. In this case, even though there are so many ports, but we are only picking at the top ports to see is there anything we could figure it out, maybe find out some sort of scanning happening on these ports. For the 90 days, it seems to be, the traffic seems to be, it seems to be okay, but when we stretched out for the 365 days for the past one year of uh, for the specific port, you can see uh, around some time actually there is a huge jump from last year, and since then the levels are at the highest. High levels are there basically. If you see at the mm-hmm. y axis here, okay, there seems to be 18,000 scanners happening at the each hour on this specific port. Uh, I tried to grab into a geographical locations. We, we captured all the sources on this specific port and tried to see what are the geographical lo- locations these uh, scanners are coming in from. When we plotted this, as you can see, it's uh, heavily distributed in the sense, uh, very prominently seen from Asia-Pac, Asia, some parts of North America and South America, I think from all these locations, scanning activity is happening all the time. So what is this scanning really happening? That is what we are trying to see from, uh, we have some sort of honeypot, we We observe certain number of ports and protocols. If anything, we can glean it from there. This data would be a little bit smaller compared to the common backbone we see. Uh, but still, it gives you some indications or indicators what's really happening. In the past, uh, I think uh, looking back 90 days, uh, so many about 3,000 events have been noticed by Harhani honeypot, and the distribution based on that one. As you can see, when you're looking at, actually, there are a couple, uh, couple of things po- pointed out to me. Basically, we're looking at there is uh, Evox, Evox, and HNAP1. What are these is while looking at actually the HVAC one seems to be related to uh, one of the Linksys moon router, I think uh, which, which has been popular about maybe four or five years ago. It used to target basically routers. Uh, in this case, Linksys-based routers, sometimes other variants also targeted other routers. I believe in this case, uh, the scanning activity is happening to look for some sort of IoT router-based devices for further propagation. these two records in this case actually giving indications that the kind of activity is also be happening. Before moving on to the next port, does anyone have any questions or comments about this port? A uh, quick question from me, Ganesh. Mm-hmm. The moon worm, how, how, uh, how old is this worm? Uh, I, I believe at least five years old, but even the, the okay. moon worm is old, But uh, There are so many variations of this worm in the sense, the code, maybe the techniques have been used by so many latest botnets. For example, if you touch base any IoT-based botnet, they have some sort of coding or module to target DVRs, maybe DVRs as well as NVRs or maybe some sort of home routers. In that sense, Mm -hmm. even though the moon worm is one, but the techniques are being used constantly.
0: And This isn't the first time that we've seen scanning for home routers. It's very common, so mm-hmm. uh, make sure your home router is is locked down properly. This is my Yes. Yeah, I,
2: I was going to mention that with the routers at home. So uh, the firmware, are they up to date? Are you know that kind of thing uh, at home? Are people safeguard or using their firewalls that are, you know, embedded in their um, home wireless network, are they utilizing the firewall? Uh, are they taking mm-hmm. it down to play Xbox? <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people yeah. will just print off their firewalls at home. So, you know, and especially during this time, they, you know, they will un- unlock it.
1: Uh, being their IoT devices, it's not easy for regular users to basically update. And that's one of the reasons all of these IoT botnet authors are targeting these IoT-based devices. As you said, I think uh, it should be patched and should be up to the levels so that these kind of attacks won't happen.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, make sure you don't have open ports on the internet that don't need to be there. <laughs> you know right so like kim said you know make sure you've got a firewall firewall either installed yourself which i realize can be you know somewhat complicated but a lot Mm -hmm. of a lot of routers will will come with with a built-in firewall and in order to poke a hole through it you know you have to explicitly go into this configuration and say i want port 22 open or something that's very important especially if you're especially if you're using smart devices you know if i go on amazon and i buy uh, a home camera and I plug it into my network. First thing that camera's going to do is it's going to tell my router, "Hey, I need to get out on this port, and I need to, you know, I need to listen on this port and yeah. things like that." And your your router needs to be able to say, "Okay, that's fine," um, except no, it's not. <laughs> You're not accepting <laughs>
1: traffic on this port. You're going to go through me, and I'll tell you what you can what can go through it. Uh, next port I want to talk about is 555 TCP. We we talked about this port so many times, which is basically Android Debug Bridge port. Uh, even though it's used by ADB port, I think it's also used by so many routers. Now you can see the theme here. <laughs> it's also used by some small home, home, home routers uh, for TR069 interface. Um, in this case, actually, I've gone back two years back so that to show the difference between when we actually saw uh, some sort of activity happening on this port, how the current levels are. Uh, if you, uh, when you look back, I think uh, almost at uh, the uh, two years uh, timeline back in time, there was a huge spike. I think that's the time uh, there were some exploits actually found in Tier 069 with respect to ADB, and uh, and all the botnets at the time were actually leveraging this port to basically scanning for vulnerable devices. But as you can see, since a year or so, the scanning levels are seems to be at the same levels. But they are sustained, that means there's still, they still, uh, this port is open out there and there are so many uh, devices vulnerable to this uh, specific port being open to the internet. Again, uh, as you all said, I think uh, the best advice is hold true for this uh, ADB port also. Like uh, secure, secure the devices, harden the devices, as well as uh, have the firewalls, different depth layers. Uh, Moving on to the next one, again, uh, some data from uh, uh, based on our honeypots analysis. Uh, The the strings over there is basically showing that uh, it's looking for ADB vulnerabilities. Uh, This specific type of payload, they're looking for 555 TCP vulnerability for tl 69 And there is uh, some article about talking about how this is being uh, exploited uh, and the link to the Trend Micro blog. But this has been going on for a while. Earlier in the show, we talked about how if
0: it's on the internet, it's going to get scanned. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think this is just kind of, this is just more flame to that fire. So, that'll get scanned It's on the internet. We're seeing it.
1: And the last one I'll be talking about, uh, about scanning happening on port 81 one tcp 81 uh, one tcp is most, most oftentimes it's used as an alternate HTTP port. But it's been associated with the Satori design variant IoT botnet. Basically, uh, it's the offshoot of Mirai botnet in the sense it reused the code from the Mirai and uh, to target basically design-based routers in the sense they have routers, some sort of DVRs as well as NVRs. I think, again, as you can see, if you look at the, all the three ports, the scanning seems to be geared towards some sort of IoT-based devices. Again, here, I'm, I was just showing the one year back, but uh, the bulk of the scanning happened like a couple months ago, uh, peaking about uh, 20, 22,000 uh, scanners per hour. Since then, they're slowly tapering up. But still, it's one of the top ports we are seeing in our internet weather. And w- what does this look like from again from our honeypot analysis? There are about I think one quarter the, the scanner seems to be spread across 84 different countries. Uh, the way we are looking at the honeypot data, I, I think uh, with that's the one I want to talk at the last. I think that's all I have today for the internet weather.
2: So this 81 is is targeting uh, the Desan routers, you say?
1: Code 81 is uh, actually alternate HTTP, but this is heavily used by Satori Desan, which is uh, again another IoT botnet. But this is heavily actually borrows code from Mirai based uh, botnet, which actually uses for uh, DDoS activities most of the things. It is so versatile, it can be used for crypto mining as well as DDoS attacks, all, all kinds of nefarious activities.
2: Oh, okay, I, I guess but, I was reading. This. The 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 slide before, uh, so I was mm-hmm. trying to understand it. Um, the satori design that it was uh, whether it was targeting that particular router uh, or is it overall is just scanning the honeypot looking for this uh, uh, this port to see if it's open.
1: Yeah, I think uh, in in this case it's scanning for the port at, uh, based on the responses. Uh, it tries to see which devices are vulnerable, but at that oh. time satori. Yes, yeah, Satori is one botnet family, uh, but the Satori design is basically the variation of it is, which is targeting at the time, design-based products. Like, they have uh, kind of uh, routers as well as uh, DVS similar to any vendor. They have, like, different vendor products, right? It. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: The views expressed on at threat t tra- expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.